Good morning, Chili Bible. How are we doing? Hey, if you are a deacon or a deaconess, I'd like you to stand up, please. You're here this morning, you're a deacon or a deaconess. All right, uh, this is a few uh, of our deacons and deaconesses, um, folks who uh, have taken on the responsibility of caring for part of the needs of the congregation. So if you are a person who has some needs that have come up uh, in your life, re- uh, maybe you are, have gotten sick, or you're going into the hospital, or you have other issues that have come up uh, where you need help in some way, uh, these are some of the folks that you need to talk to uh, to get that need met within the context of Chillicothe Bible Church, okay? So you guys can be seated. And then uh, I hope you all uh, recognize these folks. They are here to serve you, and they love you, and they uh, take delight in uh, meeting needs and so forth. So uh, I, I'm aware of a couple of needs this morning. Um, first of all, Andrea Shuda. Andrea, would you put your hand up, please? Sorry, I don't want to embarrass you totally. But Andrea is having surgery here in the next 10 days or so and is going to need some help uh, around her house uh, with her little one. She's not going to be able to lift anything for several weeks afterward. So she's going to need some help. If you um, would uh, talk to Andrea and see what you can do to come alongside her. And then also Larry and Linda Stake, if you'd raise your hand. Again, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Larry and Linda are relatively new to the church here, uh, and they're in the process of actually moving closer to church, which is a great thing. Uh, We like it when people do that, Um, and they need some help moving. So if you are available in the next few days to help them to get moved from their former house to their new house closer here to church, uh, talk to Larry and Linda afterwards and uh, see if what you can uh, work out together. All right? also, today is one of the last days you can sign up if you are a man uh, to be part of our men's retreat. Uh, we're going to do a lot of fun things. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, fire up the grill and cook some meat of various types and kinds on Friday night. Um, uh, we'll cook some steaks and burgers and bratwurst and that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to have some opportunity um, around the fire that night to talk about some spiritual things. Uh, I'll do some teaching in the morning, um, get us uh, get us oriented toward the Lord together. And uh, we're also going to have opportunity to do some things like shoot bows and arrows. Uh, we may have some shotguns uh, that we shoot. Uh, we'll get that cleared with the camp. But we are definitely that afternoon also going to go on their high ropes course and uh, hang off of trees and jump off of stuff and uh, learn to learn to do some things maybe that you've never done in your life before uh, but is really exciting you know if you've never climbed to the top of a telephone pole and jumped off yeah uh, it'll be fun and you won't hit the ground you'll be belayed up and um, uh, and it's exciting or if you've never gone down a zip line um, suspended uh, about 30 feet above the ground and going about 30 mile an hour. It's really fun. 
and uh, you men, uh, I encourage you to participate with me in that. Uh, I know several of you have said to me that you're planning on it, but you haven't signed up yet. So uh, t- today is the day. You need to sign up and commit to go, and, uh, and we'll have a great time of, uh, of masculine bonding together. All right? So um, with that, let's do go to the Lord in prayer and go before the throne of grace together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you that out of your magnificent mercy that you have sent Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners and to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross for all the sins of all the people of all the world, including me and including all of these sitting here in this room. And Father, out of your grace, you have delivered us from sin and death and hell and brought us into relationship with you. And we love you because you first loved us. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, that we might hear your word. Not my words, Father. My words have no ability to do anything for anybody. Father, your word is life. And your word is transformative. And your word is powerful to impart life to people who are dying. And Father, we pray, therefore, that your word would be spoken today and that it would penetrate our hearts and change us from the inside out. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 20 years ago, I took a class in Civil War history. Kind of shocked me to realize how long ago that had been. Um, you get old in a hurry, it seems. But in any case, uh, we were in this class, my sister and I. She needed an elective, and I, and I was a history major, so I, I, was, I was just taking this class just for giggles and grins. And... Um, and anyway, we had a, had a January term class, four weeks in, in Civil War history, and we, we read a bunch of stuff. We watched all of the PBS series on the Civil War with Ken Burns, which was marvelous. Never done that. It's really a, a good time uh, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but one of the highlights of the class was they, had, they brought in a collector one day, a collector of Civil War artifacts, and he had all kinds of stuff. He had he had rifle muskets from the Civil War era. He had cavalry sabers. He had uh, navy cutlasses. He had, he had cannons. He had uh, uniforms. He had all kinds of stuff. Uh, things that, if you had it today, you could finance your kids' college education on the value of this stuff. But one of the things that he had was he had a doctor's kit. And... Uh, medicine in those days was a little bit different than it is today. They did not have the concept of germ theory. This is prior to the, to the uh, invention of antibiotics and penicillin. They did not even understand the concept of clean, you know, where you had to keep the instruments clean in between people. But what they did know was this, that if you got a gunshot wound, that there was very little they could do for you to prevent infection from arising. So what they had in that doctor's kit, they had a number of different instruments. They had bullet extractors and, and a little tool to actually drill a hole in your head if you had fluid uh, in your skull. They would let the pressure out that way, which was great. We were kind of, ooh, <laughs> you know, 
But they also had a big bone saw, about this big. And they would, they would uh, at the end of every battle, you would go to the field hospital, and outside the tent, there would be a pile of limbs. Cut off hands, cut off feet, cut off arms, cut off legs, etc. Because if you had a bullet wound, there was no way they could disinfect that. In fact, the whole concept of disinfect was not even known. And they knew that if they left that wound on its own, what would happen is it would fester and it would fill up with pus and then you would get gangrene. And if you let it get to gangrene, that it would eventually spread through your body and take your life. And so to go to the hospital was to very often, that's why one of the old names for doctors is the sawbones, right? To go to the doctor meant a lot of times that you were, there was a risk of infection from seeing the doctor, but there was a certainty of death if you didn't go. And so they had to take drastic action if you were wounded. And they had to do whatever was necessary because it was far better to stay alive and be missing a hand or an arm or a leg or a foot than it was to have the certainty that you were going to die from the spread of infection. Civil War is a fascinating period in history. But Jesus makes a real similar point about the need for taking radical action to rid your life of the gangrene of sin. And that if you don't do that, if you don't take radical action to cut that off, then that poison will spread through your life and it will eventually take your life. And so if you've got your Bible open, I want you to, to uh, open it up to Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is going to talk to us today about radical purity. About taking radical action to rid your life of that which makes you unholy. And Jesus Christ is a master physician who offers us a way to kill sin's infection and to live abundantly rather than die eternally. So we want to see this. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. Now, remember, if you will, uh, back last week we talked about Jesus came, he said, to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that one aspect of fulfilling the law and the prophets is explaining to people what the real meaning of the law was. There were a lot of people in Jesus' day who were religious people who thought that they knew what the law said and what, and what the law meant and, and that they thought, in fact, that, that God gave the law and we are keeping it. And we are right before God because we are doing exactly what the law of God says. And as long as I haven't climbed into bed with anybody, 
then I'm not violating the command, thou shalt not commit adultery. And in fact, a lot of people in our day say identically the same thing about their own righteousness. They'll say that something like this. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm a good person. You know, I don't, I don't run around on my husband. You know, I don't run around on my wife. And, and by the way, let's be clear. There is nothing commendable about doing that. If you are a person who is doing that, you are in sin. There's nothing about committing adultery that is okay, and there's no excuse for it. There's no reason or justification that you can give. That, you know, well, if you just met my wife, or if you just knew my husband, well, then you'd understand while I'm you know, doing this over here on the side. No, the reality of it is Jesus affirms what the law says, that this is sinful, wrong, and evil, and destructive, and it's sin against both God and your spouse when you do it. But here's reality. It's also pretty easy to avoid. It's not the kind of, you know, adultery is not really the kind of sin that, you know, sneaks up on you. There's some planning generally involved in this, right? It isn't like, you know, I remember, I remember hearing a pastor when I was in seminary, he was speaking in chapel, and he said, guys, he says, this is not how, he goes, if you men who are pastors, going to be pastors one day, uh, he goes, you know, you need to avoid with absolute purity any kind of illicit relationship. And he said, you are not, it's not going to come about like this. He said, there's not going to be some woman that will come to you for counseling, knock on the door, you know, uh, rip off all her clothes in your office and say, let's get to it, big boy. That's not going to happen. Okay, that's not going to happen. He says, it's never happened to me. It's not going to happen to you either. But what happens is this, is that people get discontent in their relationship with their spouse. And then they make a connection with someone they enjoy. And then over time, you start planning for an opportunity to be with that person. And then as that connection gets deeper and deeper, eventually you start going, you know, I never thought I would do this. But this, this particular sin is starting to feel really appealing. It isn't the kind of sin you just fall into. In fact, most people who have ever been married have never committed this one. Even a lot of non-Christians, or at least this level of moral, right? It's a relatively easy level of purity to attain to. That you just keep your, your marriage vow at a, at least a basic level. But according to Jesus... More than just bodily purity is in view. It's, you do not avoid committing adultery simply because you have not been in bed with anyone to whom you are not married. There's more to it than that. You need purity not just in your body, but in your heart and in your soul. And you need to realize that meeting God's requirement for holiness, for purity when it comes to sexual things, involves more 
than just what you do with your body. It involves not just the act, but also fleeing from lust. And lust is the biblical term for reducing another person to the object of your sexual gratification. That's what it is. You want to boil it down? That's what it is. It's, it's what happens, guys, when a, a, a cute young woman walks by in a skirt that's too short and a shirt that's too low, and your eyes follow her as she walks. And in your mind, you are wondering what's going on underneath that skirt. It's the sin that women commit when they read romance novels or watch certain movies and they picture themselves as the heroine and the object of desire in the story. Or when they fantasize about someone to whom they are not married. It's the sin of both sexes with pornographic images and videos and stories and sexting and R and X-rated chat rooms where despite the fact that there's no touching, lust is inflamed and is consuming. Purity is more than just staying out of someone's bed, amen? You can't rent space to lust in your head either. And you have to be pure, not just with your body, but with your heart. And on top of that, according to Jesus, that kind of commitment to radical holiness means that you take absolutely radical action to cut out sin. Now, I didn't bring it with me today because I didn't want to gross anybody out, okay? But at my house, I've got a sawzall. You know what one of those is? Big reciprocating saw. I've got a, a, a wood blade that goes about that far. It's got teeth about that long. You can take the limb right off of a tree with it. You know, and just cut it right off. Um, I use it, and this is really going to gross people out before lunch, uh, but I, I use it when we're cutting up deer carcasses in the fall. Okay, take the bone right off. Whack! Um, not a problem. Get it into manageable chunks. I can take it into the kitchen and deal with. Right? Um, I didn't see anybody bring their saw with them today. And as, 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 raise your hand if you've got both hands. Everybody got both hands? All right. Raise them up. All right. I don't see anybody missing any eyes. Okay, now don't raise your hand on this question. How many of you have ever committed lust? So how come you got both your eyes, both your hands? Are we just all disobedient? A lot of people, you know, and we know that Jesus is not kidding when he says this. But a lot of us, I think, want to soften the blow a little bit of what he's saying. And we want to say, well, Jesus is just using hyperbole. You know, he's, he's using a figure of speech. He doesn't actually want us to do that. And that's true, by the way. Because blind men and men with no hands can still lust. Amen? Blind women, women with no hands, can still commit adultery in their heart. 
Because adultery and lust are not a function of your body, they're a function of your soul. It begins in, within you before it goes outside of you. But Jesus' point that he's making, we need to not miss, because he is using hyperbolic speech. He is using an extreme example. And by the way, there was a church father named Origen who tried this. Took God serious at his word, and he took a knife and castrated himself. True story, he really did. Later, after that, he repented of that, and he went, you know, this was dumb. You know why? Because his problem with lust did not diminish. The problem with lust did not diminish, and the reason it didn't is because it's not a function of his organs. It's a function of his heart, of his soul, and of yours and mine too. I told Paula this week, I said, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of shifting in seats on Sunday morning. And she said, why is that? I said, well, because if I have to suffer, so does everybody else. (laughs) And I wrestled with this text this week. Because the reality of it is, God calls us to a standard of absolute purity. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we need purity. Amen. And there really are. And don't miss this. Because Jesus says this. There really are people who go to hell for sexual sin. Who decide that when it comes to obey God or the sexual sin that I want to go enjoy, I will pick that and I will go to hell for it. And if you are a person who is considering this, you need to, know, you need to ask yourself this question. Is this relationship, is this activity, is this um, feeling that I am pursuing... Is this worth going to hell over? Because it's a question that Jesus encourages us to raise when it comes to this kind of thing. And I don't want to soften down what he says. But I also want us to remember this. That there is one and only one way that our righteousness will ever exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, right? And it isn't, by the way, trying much harder to be righteous by your own effort. A lot of people will tell you that. Well, you just need to work harder. You just need to try with more effort. You just need to read your Bible more. If you would just pray more, well, then then you would be righteous. And I'll tell you that that is not true. That that is religion will we'll tell you that. That there's some set of hoops you can jump through by which you will attain righteousness before God. There aren't. Every religion in the world will tell you that except this one. And Jesus will tell you no matter how many hoops you can jump through, you cannot possibly be righteous enough to be right with God. 
So let me tell you the good news. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, we have deliverance from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin and from eventually the presence of sin in our life. We do not need to go to hell for the evil that dwells within us. And there is nothing less than a total heart transplant that is required. And we get that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for our salvation. When we, when we look at God's standard and we say, and you know, we read what Jesus says and we go, unless you're willing to gouge out your own eye every time you lust, unless you're willing to, to cut off your own hand, Every time that you touch someone that you have no business touching? Well, that works great for the first one. What do I do the second time? What am I going to hold the saw with? I mean, seriously, I'm going to need help, right? And on top of that, what do I do the third time? I got, I'm running out of stuff. Jesus says, nothing less than complete purity is the standard of being right with God. And then he says, if you want to experience complete purity, come to me, and I will give you as the master physician a heart transplant to give you a new set of desires, to give you a new ability to obey God, to give you a righteousness that is outside of you that comes into you and enables you to do what the law requires. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The reason Jesus is doing this is to tell people who think that in all their religious stuff that they are meeting God's standard. To say to them, no, no, you think that that's the standard? No, not near. That's the bare minimum. You've got to at least do that. But actually what you need is not just a better standard of outward obedience. You need a heart transplant. You need a different operating system to be loaded into you. You need a different way of attaining righteousness. And it's never going to be by your own effort. It's only ever going to be by grace through faith in me. And in His grace, God creates for us the solution to our sin. And so if you are sitting out there this morning, one of the great things, one of the best things, one of the most magnificent blessings of a relationship with God is forgiveness. And righteousness that comes to you not on the basis of your effort, but based on grace. You know, if you go to whatsmystory.org and write out your testimony, here's mine. I was a person who went to church for most of the days of my childhood. We had church five nights a week, twice on Sunday, and I was there about 95% of the time on all of those nights, and Sunday morning, Sunday school, church, Sunday night, prayer meeting Wednesday night, Bible study, 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We were there. And yet I knew in my own heart that I was a sinner. And when I read my Bible, I went, Ooh, this is me. This is talking about me. And sin ran rampant in our church. It was a weird church. I'll just be honest. It was weird. And there was adultery and divorce and all kinds of other sin that was going on. And nobody batted an eye, really. It was just kind of like, well, you know, that's kind of their private business. We don't really address that. There's no church discipline here. We're not into that. You know, you just kind of, you just, you know, talk to God about it yourself and figure it out. Okay? But I knew as I sat in church, every time I went, I felt guilty. Because God's word would convict my heart, and I never understood until I got older that there was forgiveness that could be mine, and that I could be clean, and that I could stand before God, not guilty, but innocent and holy. And the point of a passage just like this is to point out to all of us who think that we're pretty good people, you know what? There aren't any good people. There's wicked people, and then there's Jesus. And if you would like to be in, if you would like to be with Him, you can leave behind your wickedness, just like I did. But only through the means that God provides of putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive that kind of righteousness, not based on effort, but as a free gift. Amen? Uh, Jesus also says there's more to it. There's also purity in relationships. And he starts in verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And a lot of times I think we're tempted to see these two verses in isolation from the rest of the context and think that Jesus is only talking about divorce. And he is talking about divorce. It's certainly part of what he's saying. But look at what else he connects it to. He connects it to the previous verses that have to do with adultery and sexual immorality. And I think a lot of people in Jesus' day, the reason he does that is that a lot of people in Jesus' day, just like in our day, thought this way. Well, I'm tired of being married to my current spouse, and I want a different one. I married the wrong person, etc., right? That's always the diagnosis that gets given, by the way. Not, I am the wrong person for them to be married to, but I married the wrong person, right? I married the wrong person. They're the wrong person for me, not I'm the wrong person for them. Isn't that interesting how that always works? Um, but in any case, they think that, and then they decide, well, you know what? I'll just get a divorce, and then I can marry someone else. And then I'll be happy. In fact, I've even had people tell me, as they're contemplating this, they say to me, They'll say, Pastor, well, don't you think that God would want me to be happy? And what I'll say to them is, open up this book and show me the verse which says that. 
it never says that anywhere. It never says God wants you to be happy. It says repeatedly, however, God wants you to be holy as a result of which you will have joy and the abundant life. But nowhere in here does it give you a right to, be, to happiness whatsoever. It's not in there. I've looked. In fact, I've had a number of people look. And your happiness is a result of obeying God. But you don't, but there's nowhere in here where God ever commends pursuing evil and sin in the name of being happy. It's not in there. And there were a lot of, but there were nevertheless a lot of people who thought, well, you know, as long as I get divorced first, well, then the relationship that I engage in after the divorce is finalized is not adultery. And Jesus says, yes, it is. That serial monogamy is still adultery. Sorry. Now, if ever, if ever there were a verse that cuts cross grain with our culture in this day and age, this is it. And he gives one exception. And he says, look, and by the way, the people he's writing to, uh, or he's speaking to, there were a lot of people in Jesus' day among the Jewish leaders. In fact, you can read it if you want to read the Talmud. I don't recommend it, but if you want to, you can look this up. Um, there were rabbis who taught that if your wife burned your food, you could divorce her on the spot. All right? There were a whole host of reasons you could get divorced, uh, according to the Jewish rabbis. Jesus gives one. He says, unless, except for sexual immorality. And it's the word, the word sexual immorality that we, that we read in English is one word in, in, in Greek. It's the word pornea. Uh, it's the word from which we get our word pornography. Pornea. And it's a theological junk drawer category word, if you will, that has to do with sexual immorality of all types and kinds. Okay, so it's not just adultery specifically, but it's any kind of non-marital, uh, heterosexual, homosexual, and whatever other category you want to throw in there, sexual activity uh, outside of one man, one woman marriage. Anything outside of that is, to use Jesus' term, pornea, sexual immorality. And then Jesus says you can, now notice he does not say you must, he says you can be divorced for that reason, and then your subsequent relationship is not adulterous. However, this is, this is again, there are, there, I don't, I want to be careful here with what I say. Because I want to be very sensitive to the fact that there are, in Scripture, some other exceptions that can be made on this. I think there are other legitimate reasons that a person might be divorced from his or her husband. But sometimes I think we lose the force. Um, we lose the force of what the Word says in a sea of qualifications. And we say, well... You know, well, what about, well, what about 
if your spouse abandons you? Well, yes, that's biblically legitimate. What about if your spouse abuses you? Well, let's talk about that. Because I think there might be a legitimate uh there might be a legitimate reason for a divorce there, etc. But don't miss the force of what Jesus is saying. And the force of what he's saying is this, is that divorce in most circumstances is to sin against God and against your spouse. And to pursue a relationship subsequent to that is to sin again against God and your former spouse. This is hard teaching. Amen? This is sobering stuff. And if you've already messed up here, let me just tell you this. The same grace of God that covers over adultery and lust and murder and all kinds of other sin covers this too. Amen? It does. But the goal is not to go through the Scriptures looking for loopholes. Amen? It's not to say, well, I'll sin in this way now. I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I'll just confess it to God later. As if somehow sin is no big deal. It is a big deal. Because sin, in every single case, requires the bloody, tortured death of the Son of God to atone for. Amen? It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was the times that I as a young man pursued some of that stuff that's on the computer. Amen? It was the times that I was alone with a young woman and we're making out in the car and we shouldn't be because we are not married. It was the times that I lied and cheated and even stole. It was the times that things were tough. And rather than look to Jesus, the author and completer of our faith, I look for some other kind of happiness, some other source of joy outside of my relationship with Him. That's my story. And if you tell yours or look back on yours, you'll hear that reality in your own heart, and your own self. And you'll go, you know, I didn't do everything perfect. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. But the grace of God is not an excuse. It's not a license to sin. It's an it's a emancipation from sin. It's a setting us free that we might obey and that we might live out a holy life. And that's the objective. Amen? Not to see how close we can get with the fire to the fire without being burned. But to see how close to God's holiness we can come and how much shit, sin we can shed. 
We are never going to become sinless people. But God's objective in saving us is that we would sin less. Amen? Amen. Jesus wants purity, not just in our eyes and our hearts and our bodies, but also in our relationship with other people. It's not just your own standing before God that matters. It's also how your sin affects other people. And every sin you commit affects other people. You cannot say, like people in our culture do, and you'll hear them, they'll say, well, I don't know why it makes such a difference to you, because after all, I'm not hurting anybody else. That is a lie. That is a lie. There is no sin you can commit that affects just you. It affects other people also. I'm about done. Because this is hard. This is not easy stuff. But here's the, here's the point of what Jesus is saying. That fleeing from sexual immorality involves radical commitment to purity in your body to your eyes to your heart to your relationships with other people the stuff jesus says in here is two thousand years old but it is as current as today's paper and it is higher and stronger and harder than anything anybody else has to say. And he holds us to a standard of righteousness which is equivalent to God's and his alone. So, as we consider these things together, just four questions here for reflection and prayer on this that we might be transformed by the grace of God. Let's let's look at these together. As you look at your own heart, as you look at your own heart, are there any areas where you are giving a foothold to lust and sexual immorality? Paul tells us in Ephesians, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't give him even a small crack. He can get his claws into you. A lot of times we play around with stuff. We know that something is, quote, on the edge. But we want to get up next to the precipice. And we make excuses for ourselves. Are there any areas where you are giving a foothold to lust and immorality? Number two, if you're single... Are you fleeing from sexual immorality or are you welcoming it with open arms? A lot of times people will ask me when they're single, they'll say things to me like this, well, pastor, where is the line? You know what I mean? And what they're saying is, how close can I be to sin without actually sinning? Okay? Let me tell you what the line is. You ready? In the Bible, there are three types of relationships that you have. As a, as a Christian person, there are three types, and only three, by the way. There is no category number four. There are family relationships. Your mother, your brother, your sister, your cousin, 
your aunt, your uncle, etc. In those relationships, all through the Bible, sexual activity of any kind is prohibited. Right? Say yes. Yes. Okay, prohibited. Right? Then you have a different kind of relationships with everybody who is not your blood relative, and those are neighbor relationships. And in those kind of relationships, sexual activity is, again, prohibited. Okay? In other words, um, it is not okay to engage in sexual contact with anyone outside of your family either. Except for category number three, which is marriage relationships, in which sexual activity is, are you ready for this one? Commanded. Commanded. Something that is blessed and encouraged and, and told to husband and husbands and wives, pursue each other. You read the book of Proverbs, that comes through. Over and over and over. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. It's in your Bible. Read it. Okay? Command it. So, if you're dating, which category does, your, does that person fit into? He's your neighbor. Or he's your neighbor. So, guess what? Sexual activity is prohibited. Okay? Now, does that mean you cannot have a good night kiss? Well, it depends. You know, I, I kiss my children. I kiss my uh, mom. I kiss my dad. I kiss my sister, etc., right? Those are, there's that kind of kissing that is totally okay if you're in a dating relationship, if it's like family, in other words. But then there's another kind. Right? The married kind. And you do not pretend that you are married when you are dating. In any aspect. Because the Bible says absolute purity. Absolute purity. Absolute purity. If you're married, here's a question for you who are married. If you're married, what do you need to do to build up your marriage so that divorce is not even an idea? Because see, Jesus doesn't just tell us, don't get divorced. He does tell us that. But on the other hand, all through your Bible are all kinds of encouragement for building up the actual relationship so that you don't think, okay, well, we're 42 this year, and uh, let's see, average lifespan is now up to 77. So only got 30-something more years of putting up with his sorry carcass. That is not the idea. Okay, I wonder if, I wonder if, you know, if we were doing a construction project and a bag of cement accidentally fell on him, they would get indicted you know i mean you don't want that right no one gets married thinking this is going to be the reality of their relationship and over and over and over in fact the scripture would commend you and encourage you to build up your relationship with your spouse 
Your marriage is meant to be a blessing if you have a marriage. It's meant to be a blessing to you. And, and the conduit of the grace of God to you. It is not to be like the Bataan death march for 50 years. That is nowhere in Scripture. You do not grit your teeth till glory. Okay, that's not the idea. It's meant to be a joy and fun and romantic. You're meant to pursue each other over a lifetime. Read the last chapter of the Song of Solomon if you don't believe me. Eighth chapter, the wife says to her husband, Come with me out into the villages, and I will give you my love there. And I have pleasures both old and new to give you. They're now an old couple. I don't know how old they are. But they've been married a while. And she says, hey, let's go on a weekend getaway. Let's get away, just the two of us. Go to Galena, or go to Chicago, or go to Brown County, Indiana, and get a cabin, you know, whatever. Okay, and I've got some old favorites and some new things I would like to try with you, big boy. Okay, that's what she says. That's what she says. It's in your Bible. Okay, it's not ungodly. It's holy. And it's God's intention that we enjoy each other for a lifetime. So if you are married, not just avoid divorce. You're not godly simply because, well, we didn't get divorced. We were married for 50 years. It was awful, but we made it. That's not the goal. That's not godliness. Okay, godliness is we got married and it was fun for 50 years. And we experienced God's blessing and joy. And we woke up every day and went, wow, I cannot believe that God is so good that He has given me this person. That's the idea, right? That's the goal. Last thing, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you at any point in this message, what radical actions are you committed to taking as soon as you leave here to purge sin from your heart and from your life? Because Jesus says radical action is required. So what are you going to do? You know, it's awfully easy to sit in a message like this and to be uncomfortable for 30 minutes or so and to go, man, I don't know what Pastor ate today, but uh, he was kind of, you know, crowding me a little bit, and I'm, I didn't like that, okay? But here's the deal. If you don't change, what will happen is you will get calluses on your heart at that spot, and you will grow deaf over time to hearing God's Word and to hearing the call to holiness that He is sending to you right now. now I've got callus. I've got a big callus right here in my, in my hand because I've worn this wedding ring for almost 20 years. And over time, it has just rubbed a spot right there where I've gotten calloused, and I don't even notice it anymore. 
when I was first married, I noticed it all the time. It was like weird, you know, like I'd never worn, a, worn any jewelry on my hands ever. Now I don't even notice. And the same thing can happen with you and me when we hear God's word and we experience the conviction of the spirit and nothing changes. Nothing changes. You do not get softer, you get harder. Something needs to change. Whatever it is, take radical action starting today. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, it is good to be among Your people and to open Your Word, but it speaks to us in a language that is higher and loftier and holier than we can attain to. Father, I pray that those of us who have been in sin and messed up in various ways would come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy and lay out our sin before You and say, Father, here it is in all of its ugliness. Please give me Your holiness that I might be free of this mess. Father, we need You. We need the grace of Jesus Christ and the covering of His blood that we might purge sin from our lives in both its presence and its power over us. Father, we pray You will set us free. We pray that if we've already messed up, that You will declare to us that our guilt is taken away the instant that we confess. And Father, we pray that we would walk in newness of life that we would pursue holiness because we love You and we know that our sin put Christ to death and out of gratitude for His sacrifice and out of love for You and all that You have done for us, we would pursue You and draw near to You every moment of every day until You call us home. And We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.